0: Welcome to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast, where our goal is to provide small business owners and key decision makers with valuable nuggets to help you grow or simply improve how you run your business, ultimately looking to increase your profitability. My name is Craig Pollack, I'm the founder and CEO of FPA Technology Services, and I'm your host for this podcast. Do you ever wonder what other business owners are running up against out there? Are you too busy working in your business to work on your business? Do you ever feel like you're in this thing alone? Are you at a crossroad with your business where some new ideas would help? For nearly 30 years, I've been helping companies grow and improve their businesses by leveraging technology, whether it's software, hardware, on-prem, or in the cloud, and at the same time building FPA into the premier IT service provider in the greater Los Angeles area. This experience has given me exposure to hundreds of businesses and all sorts of systems and as a lifelong learner has helped me gather all I could about the ins and outs of running a business. And these are the sorts of things I want to share with you on this podcast. Today's podcast could be considered a must listen to as I'm speaking with Barry Cohn, CEO of Jorgensen HR, a Southern California based outsourced HR firm. Barry provides a solution to the age-old business issue of how best to take care of your employees. And anyone with a business in California knows just how difficult this can be these days. Jorgensen HR works with their clients to ensure their employees are well-trained, supported, and engaged, all while making sure all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed when it comes to the legal and compliance issues of having employees. So here we go. Here's my conversation with Barry. Welcome, Barry, Barry Cohn, to the FPA Podcast. Appreciate your time today. I'm looking forward to this conversation and learning a little bit more about Jorgensen HR and HR things in general, and just kind of what's going out there in the human resources environment these days. So thank you for being on the podcast. Welcome. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, and thanks for inviting me. Yeah, for sure. You know, we've had many conversations over the years, and I've known you for a while now, and- you always have something interesting to say, always. So I really appreciate that. I think you're, you know, you're a pretty well-read guy and up on things. And it's always interesting to have conversations with people like you. So I appreciate that and I look forward to it. So let's dive in. So, Barry Cohn, just you know, why don't you give us just a quick little background of who you are and who Jorgensen HR is? And you know, we'll peel it back from there.
1: Okay. Sounds like a great way to start. You know, when I was in elementary school and junior high, I wanted to be a defense attorney. I loved Perry Mason. Okay. My older cousin was a defense attorney. But when I got to college, I went to UCLA, but I started dating a girl that was at Occidental, pre-President Obama days. And her father was a bank president. And after dating her for three years, I got brainwashed. So I went into middle market banking, started at Union Bank out of college, Although during college, I worked at that bank, his bank, manufacturers bank, when the training program started lending money after two years of training, spent 25 years working with companies, manufacturers, distributors, wholesalers, not really retailers, some restaurants some service businesses. And after 25 years, I reached a point where it was time for me to make a change. And my wife came to me and said, why don't you come join my employee benefits company? you can help grow it. You have a great Rolodex. So uh, if people don't know what a Rolodex is in the old days, you had the (laughs) the 3 by 5 cards and you had people's names on them. Now, obviously, we have everything on the computer. So I said, no, I don't think so. And I waited a six months longer. And when I said, yeah, it's time. So I joined her. And when I joined her employee benefits company, she had a part-time assistant. And over 20 years, we grew it to 20 people, a couple million in sales. And a little over two years ago, we sold it to a larger insurance agency out of the Bay Area. But 13 years ago, we started an HR firm. We were getting questions from clients about human resources. They needed some work done. They weren't getting the answers they needed. So I set up a separate company. And I became a Provisors member. And if you know what Provisors is, or if you don't, it's sort of like a white-collar networking group that meets monthly, a home group. And every Monday morning, we get this email that talks about needs, deals, and wants. And a business broker said, hey, I have an HR firm that I'm representing that would like to sell. If anyone knows anyone or anyone interested, let us know. And that was about four years ago. And I called her immediately, and I said, is this the firm in Santa Clarita? And she said, well, I really can't tell you anything until you sign a non-disclosure agreement, which told me immediately it was the one in Santa Clarita, which is Jorgensen HR. If it wasn't, she would have said, no, it's not in Santa Clarita. So a year later, I bought Jorgensen HR. It's been three years now. The funny thing about Jorgensen HR, they've been around for over 38 years. But originally, Karen Jorgensen started it. And when I joined my wife after banking, I joined a CEO group and Karen Jorgensen was in our group. When she wanted to sell it, she came to our group to ask, you know, I'm thinking about selling my company. I'm thinking about selling it to my number one person, Linda. And uh, what do you guys think? And how should I do it? And over a three or four month period, she put it together and she sold it to Linda who owned it for 18 years. And then I bought it from Linda. So it came full circle. So we combined Jorgensen into our HR company, changed our name to Jorgensen HR. I'm in a process right now of acquiring a company in Orange County to fold into our company.
0: So we're growing. Nice. Wow. That's a great story. I I didn't realize that you came from, I mean, now it sort of makes sense with your degree in economics from UCLA, but I didn't realize you came from, you know, more of a corporate background. So I think that gives you a pretty interesting perspective as opposed to just not that there's anything wrong with starting as a pure entrepreneur, but that probably brings you a, a different perspective of running a company. I think it does. I, I work with a hundred plus
1: companies over the 20 years I was in lending mostly family-owned businesses, privately owned businesses, partners. I didn't bank any public companies but you know over the years, whether it be a plastics manufacturer, distributor of food, Whatever it happened to be, you know, you learn from those business owners.
0: And I think it gives you a good background. Hmm. So, you know, what's interesting is is I think there's a number of people, certainly improvisers, and and again, not to knock anybody, because there's always different ways to approach problem solving, but there's a lot of individuals, right, as outsourced HR people. And they run HR for, you know, a select group of clients, which is which is a different approach than the way that you have and the way that you've you know scaled your business, which is probably more similar to our business here with FPA, in that, you know, we have a staff, we have a company, we have scale that we can help people above and beyond a sole practitioner. I assume that's the way that you approach things or how do you approach things with Jorgensen?
1: I think that's very similar. I think people get into HR consulting a couple of different ways. They either work in a large company, as a HR person, the company moves out of state, they get acquired, they've gone two or three companies, and they've decided they want to be a consultant. That's one way. Most people do not start out, you know, I want to be an HR consultant and help companies. But the problem with being a sole practitioner is there's too much to know, too much to learn, and not enough time. And what I mean by that is if you're a sole practitioner and you handle 10 clients. Number one, you don't have time to bring in any more clients because you're doing projects for those clients. And so you run this cyclical nature of the business. You, you're very busy and then you got to find business and then you're very busy and then you get to find business. Plus, employment law changes all the time, technology changes, and you have to keep up on everything. And without a staff and without backing to help everybody in the HR, Company, it's kind of hard to keep up on everything. So I believe in having, I probably have 10 consultants now. We have 13, 14 people in the company. There's some consultants with expertises. like we have one woman that's expertise in leave of absences. If anyone has a leave of absence question, problem, issue, all of us probably go, Corey, can you help us out on this? Because she knows what she's doing. If it's an affirmative action plan, we have someone who does that. If it has to do with labor law, usually people call on me because I read everything labor
0: law-wise. So that's, again, sounds very similar to our approach in terms of you have this wide breadth of expertise that you can bring to a client, not only just who they might touch as, you know, whoever's working on their account at any given time, but above and beyond and outside that you have all this expertise. The other thing that I think would be beneficial too in your approach would be, you know, Somebody doesn't have to worry about, well, I'm on vacation for the next two weeks. So, therefore, you know, I can't get any answers to my mm-hmm. questions or I can't move forward or what have you. Again, not a knock on sole practitioners. I think there's a place for everyone. But again, similar to us, it just provides another level of coverage by working with a company like yours. Yeah. And I think you're right. And we did this in the benefits business for
1: 25 years and we do it in the HR company. And that is that we have a primary person that works with a client, but we always have a secondary person, whether it be vacation, someone's out sick, they're not available. There's always somebody available who knows the company. And then if they're not available for some reason, then there's Linda, who's our president and owned the company for 18 years. And then there's me. Mm -hmm.
0: So yeah, it's very important to have backup and redundancy. Right. So tell me like what does a typical engagement look like? What are you know, who finds success with you best? Like what are your I don't want to say perfect client, but you know, who could benefit from working with you and who are some of the I don't want to ask for names. I did see some names of clients that you're currently work with on your website and you know, some impressive names, I'll tell you that. Thank you. But you know, who could benefit from working with your company and how does that work? Well, It's interesting. We have
1: six major areas that we derive probably 85% of our revenue. And the typical engagement is different for each of those. So one of our typical engagements is best outsource or fractional HR, where a company needs somebody to come in three, four days a week and be their HR person because either their HR person was terminated for cause or they resigned and went somewhere else. The interesting thing about Jorgensen HR is that we have relationships with 18 employment attorneys across 10 different employment law firms that refer us clients. So a lot of times they'll get a phone call from a client that says, my HR person just walked out, what do I do? And then we get a call. So like right now, We have a couple engagements where we have an HR consultant four days a week, six hours a day, five days a week, eight hours a day at a company being their HR. Those are usually companies between 75 and 500 employees. Our second typical engagement is what we call best partner. It's sort of a combination of solutions that we provide companies that don't have an HR person usually. So usually it's 25 employees to 100. We give them the typical four hours of HR consulting a month, a new employee handbook every year or an updated one, our harassment hotline, train four hours of training for their supervisors and managers every year. And they pay us a monthly fee for that. But it could be customized. So we have some companies that do three hours a month, some that do four hours a month or 48 hours a year, some that do 60 hours a year. And then on our website, which you saw, and it's a, we have a testimonial from the Tournament of Roses Parade, we've been doing best partner with them for over 15 years. No one knows exactly when we, they started or we started. They don't know. We don't know. But obviously, that's geared more in the fourth quarter because of the parade. But we can customize that. And so that's our second type of engagement. Our third type of engagement, which has probably 100 companies, 80 of them which are restaurants, is a harassment hotline. And what that is basically is if a company, if somebody in a company has an issue with discrimination, harassment, it could be gender, sexual, national origin, race, hostile work environment, they're supposed to talk to their supervisor or manager or HR if it's a larger company, but sometimes people aren't comfortable with that. So we have a solution Mm -hmm. that is a 1-800 number. You call a 1-800 number, English, Spanish, you can talk about your issue anonymously or not. So those clients, the engagement's different because that's what they buy from us, this solution, and that's it. But our largest Mm -hmm. one is a Burger King operation out of Oregon and Washington that has 200 Burger Kings and 2,000 employees. And they use our hotline. So that would be our third. And we have a couple more that we do. One of the things we do a lot of is workplace investigations. kind of stems from that hotline, but we get calls from law firms and a company needs to do a worksite investigation. So that's how that engagement happens. And that's usually a short engagement. It might be two to three months to interview people, conduct the investigation, write a report, et cetera. And then we have project work too. We do HR audits, although we call them assessments because business owners don't like the word audit. So we go in and we look Mm -hmm. at HR, all the areas of HR, and we write them a report and talk about what they're doing right and what they need to improve. So we have a lot of different solutions and so the engagements are always different.
0: Wow. Uh, It sounds very full service, not to belabor a point, but a lot of different ways that you can help people. So let me ask you this question. On your LinkedIn profile, I noticed that your description, it says, are you an employer of choice? I help businesses with HR solutions and compliance. So what is an employer of choice? What does that mean? And and also, why does that matter to you? Uh, I'm curious. It's a great question. I actually stole the term employer of choice, but (laughs) I
1: didn't steal it because there's thousands of people using that phrase. But I learned about it about 10 years ago in the benefits business. I joined a best practices group with 30 other benefits practices around the country in 25 states. And the leader of our group talked about employer of choice. Employer, in that time, we didn't have a problem finding workers. Today, we have this problem where, and I heard this morning on the radio, that there's twice as many people, there's twice as many jobs open than there are people looking for jobs. I think the number was 4 million are looking for jobs, and there's 8 million job openings. But being an employer of choice means that the company treats their employees well They care about their employees. They want to do the right thing by them. And they want to have a good working relationship and help their employees grow and develop. And that's an employer of choice. People want to go work for them. Where there are companies out there still where owners really don't care about their employees. They'll pay them as little as possible, give them as little benefits as possible. We don't like working with those kind of companies. And we actually just we actually asked a company not to renew with us as a best partner, because they ask us things, we gave them answers, but they didn't want to follow our advice. They just wanted to do their own thing. And it wasn't right for the employee. So an employer of choice is an employer that really wants to be, you know, in the top tier of employers in their field or in their area. And that's what it is.
0: Well, that's great. And I think, you know, what you said is important too, in terms of how you run your business, in terms of aligning yourself with clients who see themselves and are working towards being an employer of choice right it's like you have you have certain markers you have a certain benchmark it's not worth the hassle of working with people who don't see the value in what you provide or let alone don't see the value in you know servicing their staff right so i think that's commendable and i think you have to take care
1: of your employees first and and i'll tell you where i learned that I had a client in Orange County and a couple of gentlemen from Taiwan that started a company in computer memory. You probably heard of the name company called Kingston Technology.
0: Very yeah, yeah I'm familiar. Yeah, with big company.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah. when I became their banker, they were doing you know not that much in sales and had maybe 30 employees. They grew it to a billion dollars. Then they sold it. Then they bought it back. But on their wall was a saying in Chinese. And basically it was, if you take care of your employees, they will take care of your business. Mm-hmm. And 100%. I learned that. Yep. I never forgot it. David and John taught it to me. And when we started our benefits company, that was our tagline. If you take care of your employees, they'll take care of your business. And that's really what it is. If you take care of people, they can do the right thing for your business. They help your business grow and be profitable. And you know everybody benefits. So when John and David sold their company, they paid out a hundred million dollars to all the employees as bonuses because they couldn't have done it without the employees. And so when we sold our benefits firm two years ago, every employee got a check and surprisingly they got a check because we couldn't have grown the company without them and they were important to it. So they should benefit with our success. So I just think it's Mm -hmm. something I learned a long time ago in banking and, you know, I'll never forget that expression.
0: Right. Well, You're preaching to the choir here. I mean, literally, it's our number one core value is take care of our staff, Mm -hmm. period. Number one, right? Take care of our clients is number two. But like you said, you know, we can't take care of our clients if we're not taking care of our staff. Exactly. And I think, you know, and and it is, it's at least for me, and I'm going to go off on a tangent here for a second, but, you know, it's a sense of pride that we have in terms of the tenure rate of our staff and i think that all comes down to you taking care of them and thinking about thinking about the company not just as a team but almost as a family it's like my successes or the success that we have as a company is is the success that i see in our staff i mean it's it's great to be able to think that we had a hand in helping somebody buy a house Mm -hmm. or sending their kids to college or, you know, what have you. It's Those are the real things. Those are the success points. So I think that's a great saying. And I think that, you know, that really stuck out for me seeing that on your LinkedIn. The other thing that I would sort of tie to in that concept is I noticed on your website as well, JHR cares. And I think that that's a Again, very similar to us. One of our core values is build something bigger than ourselves, and what that means is to us is, you know, how can we help the community? How can we do other things because of the success we're having as a company? Not just let's be successful, let's make money. No, it's how can we touch other people and touch their lives and give back to the community in different ways. So I noticed that JHR cares. You want to talk about that yeah. for a second, or? I agree with you a hundred percent.
1: And you know, it goes back to my banking days. I had a niche with nonprofits. And so when, when I joined my wife's benefit company, we had a lot of nonprofits. And Jorgensen has a lot of nonprofits. And I just believe it's important to give back. And so not only do we give back to our nonprofits and make a contribution to their cause. When my wife and I sold our benefits practice, we put a chunk of money into a charitable trust and we're sending. 20 kids to summer camp every year. And it has to do with the fact that I grew up really poor. I never went to summer camp. I went one week in 1967 when someone paid for it and gave me a scholarship. Camp changed my life. And I thought that, you know, it's important to give back. So we send about 20 kids a year to summer camps, a lot of them to YMCA camp, to Porter Valley, North Valley, YMCA, Porter Ranch. And then the camp that I went to as a kid once, and I was a counselor at, and a couple other camps that our kids went to. And I just think it's important to give back. What I really liked about, you know, selling our company was we found a company that gives 10% of their profits to charity every year. And I just think it's important. You know, even though I've been working since I was 13 and I grew up and, you know, not very well, every Sunday morning when I went to Hebrew school, my mother gave me a quarter to put in the charity envelope. It's called Sadaka. And even though we didn't have a lot of money, I got a quarter every week and that's where I learned it. And we still do it today. I think it's really important to give back not only money, but also time, you know, and participate on boards of nonprofits and help them with their mission and growth, et cetera.
0: Well, that's awesome. I mean, I think, you know, (laughs) which sort of dovetailed into my next question, but I think you've already answered it, which was what drives you these days and, you know, what drives you to do what you do? Again, it sounds similar to us and to me, which is making an impact, right? Like, I think that's the biggest thing that we can do, but rather hear it from your words than mine. Basically, you know, if you ask anybody in and
1: HR what we do for a living, it's we help people, we help employees and employers, we help people. And as long as we take to heart the fact that our role is to help companies and then, you know, having an impact on our communities also. So we're involved in the Chamber of Commerce where we're headquartered in Santa Clarita Valley. We're involved in the Valley Industry Association. We're involved in a nonprofit called Bridge to Home, which we're contributing to every year. But I think you know, having an impact. I mean, you can grow a company and at one time I said I wanted to grow my benefits firm and have an office in Orange County in San Diego and San Francisco and grow it and But, you know, at some point in time you go, why do I want to do that? You know, I'm comfortable with what I'm doing. I want to grow it a little bit, but I want to make an impact in the world. And I think that's really why we're around. The question always is, and I'm a fan of Simon Sinek, who Mm -hmm. has a great video and a great book about why, what's your why, W-H-Y. Start 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 with with why. why. One of
0: of the best, yeah, one of the best videos out
1: there, a TED talk,
0: no question. And my why has always been help people. I want to help people. And that's the important thing. That's awesome. I know you're also an avid reader. So it goes without saying that you're into continuous learning, right? So is there anything that you're reading these days that's making an impact on you or anything recently you've read? Well, I am an avid
1: reader. I usually read a book a week, sometimes two books a week. I don't like what's on TV, (laughs) but now it's Dodger season. So I'm probably watching baseball at night. So I really usually read four types of books. I usually read a mystery or spy novel. I read a business book, a nonfiction book. And then I, mm-hmm. because I'm Jewish and I believe in learning, I always read some kind of Jewish book. I think the book I'm reading right now, which I think is fascinating, is from Bob Iger, who is the CEO of Walt Disney Company. I can't tell you the name of the book because I'm not going to remember it, but it basically is his life lessons in business. Mm-hmm. So if you Google Bob Iger, you'll find the book. It's probably the last one he wrote, but it's fascinating. And then I'm reading another book that is called The CEO. But every month I pick up a business book and I read it, and just try to get better at what I do and and try to learn more.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Is that what you know? My next question had to do with personal growth. Is that something? I mean, it sounds like it's something that you know you're proactive and intentional about. Do you find that? from time to time, like you try to get to different areas or how do you go about that? Is that something that you actively or intentionally go after or just something that sort of catches your eye? That's that's what you're going to read that month. No, I think it's
1: intentional now. I think that when I was in banking and I was moving up the corporate ladder and I ended up running Burbank to Santa Barbara for a bank and had a magic pen that could approve loans up to 3 million. I didn't do a lot of reading. I didn't do a lot of personal growth outside of what I did in banking. But in the last 20 years, I've taken on a new area where I try to grow and learn and do things that are new. And it stems from something my wife taught me, which is a quote from a famous movie called MAME with Rosalind Russell. And the quote is, life's a journey, and too many poor bastards are starving to death. So life's (laughs) a journey. So it's a journey in a lot of areas. So I'll give you an example besides reading. In high school, I never really took science. I took chemistry, and that was basically it. In college, I avoided science with a passion. When I was at UCLA, you had two paths to go in your general ed requirements, and one of them was Seven courses in your the school of your major and two in another school. I avoided science, but now I'm fascinated by things. And there's a company called Great Courses that has courses that you know could be 18 lessons, 30 lessons, whatever. They're videos. It's all online now. And I took one on quantum physics, and I took one on astronomy, and I took one on basically mathematics. I always like math, but so I do that, and I probably do a course a month on something that's fascinating to me. And then I find history and culture fascinating. So I kind of mix it up a little bit, but I always want to learn stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. I think my favorite TV shows have to do with the Science Channel or or National Geographic or Smithsonian. I mean, it's just the way I'm wired right now.
0: Right. Those are great things. Is that something, like you said, it was what, 10 years ago or so, or 15 years ago? It seems like you, you sort of morphed into more of a... Learning mindset. Uh, mm-hmm. Was there something that initiated that? Was there some aha moment, or you just sort of realized you, you liked it? And
1: well, it, it might be two things. I never really thought about that, but it might be two things. 16 and a half years ago, I got diagnosed with leukemia. Mm. And we waited 10 years before I had chemo, and I had chemo six and a half years ago, and I'm fine today. So that might've been one of those life-changing moments when the doctor says you have cancer. The other moment would be a courses I'm taking in something called Musar, M-U-S-S-A-R. It's a Jewish practice that dates back to the 1700s, but it's about character traits. And actually, if you look at Benjamin Franklin and look at what he talked about, he had 13 character traits, one of which was patience, one of which was silence, and. One was charity and some other things, but while I'm studying Musar and I finished chemo and I started Musar about the same time, I recognize that, you know, life's a journey. You have to enjoy life and it's great to learn things and do things and discover things. And so it's probably a combination of those
0: two things that got me in this direction. Hmm. Again, it's like you're reading my questions here, but first off, I'm glad to hear, you know, health-wise you're doing great. That's awesome. But second to that is, you know, my next question is, what would you, what would you tell your twenty-five-year-old self of, you know? <laughs> I often think about that. I think that that's a great question, as like sort of a, a gut check, right? Every six months, yeah. every year, you know, what are we learning? What are we, if we're not learning and progressing? Like you said, it's about the journey, and if all yeah. we're doing is just sort of experiencing. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but yeah. I'd like to Uh, think that we're getting better, not just older.
1: (laughs) When I was my 25-year-old self, I just finished two years of training at Union Bank. And Union Bank hired 60 people in 1976 and only 10 of us graduated, which means 50 people failed and didn't progress and didn't move on. But I was very intense in learning what I had to learn. And until I had a child at 31. I was really focused on career and growing. And I'm going to tell you a quick story. I was with the bank president driving back on the 101 freeway, Hollywood freeway, back to downtown LA where the bank was. And he said, hey, I know your wife's pregnant. Let me give you some advice. And I said, great, what is it? he goes, at five o'clock, I want you to shove everything in your briefcase and close it and go home. Have dinner with your family every night read stories to your kids, give them baths and showers and when they go to bed and when they're asleep, open your briefcase and do whatever you have to do. But family is very important and kids grow up really fast. So that was the first thing that I learned which was about 6 years later to my 25-year-old self was, "Hey, you know, life is not just career." And then I think what I would tell my 25-year-old self is it's very important to Take care of yourself, both emotionally, spiritually, physically, what have you. What I didn't say before was 16 and a half years ago, I was 80 pounds heavier. And I knew I had to have chemo, so I started getting into shape, and I lost 60 pounds before chemo, then I lost 10 more pounds, and this year, I, you know, I'm down a total of 80 pounds now, and I'm healthier than I ever was before, and I'm eating healthy, and i I do some relaxation things. If someone would have told me 15 years ago I'd be meditating every day, I would, you know, look at them and just laugh. But there's so much to life and being relaxed and calm and being having clarity is important. So I think that's what I would tell my 25-year-old self.
0: Hmm. Those are great words of wisdom. And I think, you know, one of the things that you mentioned there in terms of taking care of yourself. I think it's called, I don't know if it's officially called this or not, but it's to me, it's the oxygen mask theory, right? It's like, we want to help others around us, but it we have to put our oxygen mask on us first, right? We mm-hmm. have to take care of, you know, we can, we can only run on fumes for so long if we're all about, and I'm not saying all I do is take care of others. It's not what I'm saying, but right, just conceptually. If all we're doing is working and taking care of the family and doing our thing, but we're not taking care of ourselves, then it's going to come to a screeching halt at some point, right? So I think Mm -hmm. over the long term, the more that we can take care of ourselves, the more that we can do all these other things that we want to do, right? I think you're absolutely right. In Musar,
1: we always talk about taking care of others and being there for the other, the other in your lives or whoever you run across, mm-hmm. uh, but you got to take care of yourself first. You're absolutely right. I like the oxygen mask comparison because it reminds me of being on a plane. Yeah. There and you go. You gotta put your oxygen mask on first before your child. So,
0: right. Cause it doesn't, you know, if you pass out, there's no, there's, <laughs> there's no way of helping them. Right. So yeah. again, just an analogy and it helps me think about it in those terms. Mm-hmm. So, I want to go in a slightly different direction right now. I I do think you're, you know, probably one of the higher, I don't know if I'd say technologists, but I think you're pretty comfortable in the technical world. Definitely see like, you definitely have marketing dialed in. I see all that you do out there electronically on the marketing side of stuff. Would you consider yourself like tech friendly? Are you comfortable with tech? You know, where, where does that sort of sit in with you? I think I'm very comfortable with tech and technology.
1: I'm not an early adapter. I mean, if something comes out tomorrow, I'm not going to go buy it, but probably within a couple of years I might. But yeah, I, I'm technologically, I think I'm with it. The bank that I worked at had 150 employees, and I was the one that pushed them to get everybody to have computers and then have some financial analysis on computers and what have you. So that goes back, you know, 25, probably 30 years ago. But yeah, I'm very comfortable with technology.
0: Is there any like things that you've, or, or solutions that you found really good success with that you've kind of driven Jorgensen to adapt or adopt? Yeah, I think
1: the one thing is a CRM system, a customer relationship management system. Mm-hmm. I started in the banking years with something called Act ACT, I mean, there's lots of others out there. I'm still using ACT today, Um, obviously a a 2022 version. Mm -hmm. But basically, it's not just a Rolodex. Everything we do with clients is attached to ACT. Every email, every letter, every proposal, every agreement is attached to ACT. Every time we have a conversation with a customer, we type it in. So we have a whole chronology of what we do for each client. Obviously, it's my calendar too, although now I'm probably using... Because I have two roles right now, I'm still with employee benefits firm for another 10 months. And then I have Jorgensen, I'm using a calendar through Microsoft Outlook, but everything we do is on app, you know, whether somebody uses Salesforce or ACT or any of the others that are out there, the important thing is it's good for organizing yourself, keeping things straight. And it saved us a few times over the years when a client said, Well, you didn't tell me about this. And I said, no, on this date, we sent you this email, which had this attachment, which talked about this labor law. Mm -hmm. I'm giving you like a make-believe example, but we have that. I think it's
0: important. Well, I think you being the leader of your company and having that mindset is invaluable. I mean, I don't know how many times, you know, it seems like half of my job or half of our jobs is to help educate people as to the value, because a lot of times the value of IT is, it's intangible, right? It's productivity, it's like you just, the example you just gave, it's stickiness with the clients, it's your knowledge, it's your ability to be successful with the relationship. So there's a lot of the ROI on IT investment sometimes is really hard to quantify. But mm-hmm. if you have the right mindset, you understand the value proposition, right? And it's yeah. it's huge, right? I mean, that's very true. And one of my challenges
1: at Jorgensen is that I have my HR consultants are a little bit on the older mm-hmm. age spectrum. And it stems from where Jorgensen started. Karen Jorgensen was the head of HR at a company called Coast Federal Savings. That got acquired by Amundsen or Home Savings and her whole department, who is what started Jorgensen HR. So I have consultants that are 65, 69, 70, 73, 74. Technology is a bit of a challenge for them sometimes, not always, but sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then I have some consultants that are 35, 40, 45, and they grasp technology and they've been using it since they were kids. But I think it's important that everybody is on the same page in a company? Because how can we help our clients if we're not on the same page and we don't have all the information at our fingertips that we need?
0: Right. And everybody has to be rowing in the same direction, to your point. you Mm -hmm. know, If somebody, again, in your example, if nine out of 10 people in your company update the clients accurately and one doesn't, that's 10% of the information. And at the same time, it could be, 90% 90% of information on a or a set of specific clients and if that's sort of haphazard and mm-hmm. somebody else has to jump in you're losing that sort of unique selling proposition of hey we have a company we have a staff we can cover you oh wait so and so is out and he didn't update the system i don't know what's going on <laughs> right it goes against exactly what i'm what laughing cuz
1: you're absolutely correct because of the way we were, we, when I bought the company, every time somebody does something, they copy our admin at headquarters and our admin puts it in the client file mm-hmm. automatically. And now it used to be done by email, but now we use OneDrive. And you mm-hmm. can probably explain OneDrive better than me, but OneDrive's in the cloud and you can put make a folder for a client in the cloud. It's encrypted, it's protected, and then you can give people in the company access to it. So we put things up in OneDrive, and then the admin takes it out, puts it in the file. But everything we do now is in the cloud. So we're an AWS company. So we don't have a server anymore. When I bought the company, they had a server, but we're in the cloud for everything.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the direction. Most businesses are at least moving in that direction. It sort of depends on... You know, their legacy apps and what they're using and those sorts of things. But what you're describing oftentimes it's the mindset, right? Mm-hmm. It's the mindset of the leader. And and it dare I say it warms my heart to hear you talk in these terms because, like I said, half of our battle is just explaining the, uh, you know, and educating the value proposition. It's mm-hmm. huge. Well, so, every
1: every client file has subfolders in it, and the uh-huh. folders have all of our solutions. Even if they don't use it, every folder looks exactly the same. So you know exactly where things go and you can find them and you can use them when you need to.
0: Wow. It sounds exactly like how we go about doing things. Scary. <laughs> Drives my wife crazy. I'll tell you that. Our attention to attention to detail is what we like to call it. Mm-hmm. So quick question. Apple phone or Android? Android. Android. Really?
1: Okay. That kind yeah. of threw you know me for a minute. It goes back to something my wife and I talked about, more her and me. But you know, between Apple and Microsoft and Facebook, they want to take over the world. So we want to use their products as little as possible. I'm joking in a way. but So we've never been an Apple house. We've always been an Android house. And all of our kids had Android phones until they got out of college. And then if they wanted to buy an iPhone, they could. But yeah, we were always Android.
0: Okay. Interesting. You don't see that very much on the family side. I mean, I'm a Windows guy. I've been using phones or PDAs back in the Palm days and then mm-hmm. the Windows and, you know, BlackBerry, you've gone through them all, but I'm I have an iPhone. I'm a Windows guy at my heart. Like every machine I have is a Windows machine. Mm-hmm. Even a, even my, my tablets are, you know, Windows tablets, but Surface tablets, but my phone, it was hard for me to go over to the dark side, but I get it.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny. I think, I, I don't know what I started out with first, a BlackBerry or a Palm Pilot. I forget which uh-huh. was first, but yeah, we've always been, I've always been Windows, always been Microsoft Office and that's just the way, you know. Right. I've been. So what's your favorite app on your phone? Whoa, that's an interesting question. Uh Uh-huh. My favorite app. And I don't mean
0: chess.com.
1: (laughs) No, I would say probably one of two. One would be ESPN because I'm a sports guy. But there's also an app on my phone called Headspace. Uh Uh-huh. And Headspace is a meditation app that yep. if you sit down in a chair and you turn it on, there's a soothing voice that talks you through a meditation. And I learned about it because, and I'm going to, have to get his name right. Shoot, Barry, I'm, I'm guessing. The Lakers coach, whose father, a Bill Walton's son, I just forgot his first name, but Bill Walton's son, who was the coach of the Lakers. Used Headspace every day before games.
0: Oh, Luke and, Walton. There you yeah, go. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, I
1: learned about it reading a sports article, probably on my phone, because I read my newspaper on my phone. So probably Headspace is one of my favorite apps, ESPN. But it's interesting. I love my cell phone, and I read all my newspapers on my cell phone, but I don't like magazines on my cell phone. I still hmm. like to get them. I
0: like to hold them. I like to turn the pages. I don't know why, but. Right. Well, I feel the same way about books. It's really hard for me to read books on a phone or on a tablet. I need to, you know, there's something tactile about touching a book and seeing where the bookmark is and just conceptually, maybe it's old school, but yeah, I can read almost anything else. But if I really want to read a book and similarly, if I really want to read a book, I can't use Audible. I use Audible for, you know, maybe some, novels or things like that. But if it's something I really want to focus on, I can't use audible. I can't, yeah, you know, I'm listen, you. cause I, I miss half the book. Yeah. Right? I'm with you completely.
1: And it's funny. I do use a Kindle. I love my Kindle. <clears throat> I think I have my third version of it, but when it comes to, you know, the old days books on tape, I used to spend four to six hours on the freeway a day when I was in banking. And that was a mm-hmm. lot of, a lot of wear and tear on the car and, and your body but I could never do books on tape. I can never do audible. I just can't focus where when it's a book, I
0: want to be able to focus. So. Right. hundred percent. So let me ask you just a couple more questions, but you know, about the business and about the business climate and what you're doing there. You sound like, like I said, a very intentional leader. Are you thinking, what's your reaction to all of this recession talk? do you hear anything out there? Are you seeing anything with your clients out there? I know the last, obviously the last couple of years has been strange to say the least, although mm-hmm. right now it it almost feels like quote unquote normal, as long as you don't turn on the TV and <laughs> watch the news. But, you know, have you seen anything with COVID? Do you see anything with the pandemic? And what's your take on, on the next six, 12, 18 months. Well, Anything with the R word out there?
1: Let me start out with the COVID word. Because of COVID, we lost three clients. And one of them is out of business. They were a logistics firm. The other one's a nonprofit that, you know, really had difficulty with raising money during COVID. And 2021 was a very challenging year because it hit us. We started January like 180,000 of revenue in the hole, which we knew we were going to be in because we lost these clients, not because of anything we did, but you know, COVID is COVID, Mm -hmm. and things happen. Right, right. This year we are 37 to 40 percent over last year, although last year we were down a little bit. But what I'm seeing with clients right now are three things that everyone's talking about. One is supply chain issues. Everyone's our, having trouble. Yeah. If you're a manufacturer, just no, No question. Yeah, yeah, no question. You got supply chain. We just got a new pickup truck because we're going to, we're buying an Airstream and we need something to pull it. Took us six months to get the pickup because of supply chain. And it'll be 13 months after we order the Airstream before we get it. So all of our clients that are manufacturers, distributors, you know, they're talking about that. They're talking about inflation. And everything's costing more. And then the second thing is trying to follow all the COVID rules. That's number two. Although I think that's number one. And number two is you know supply chain issues. And number three is HR, is people. Everyone's having trouble finding people. And you know I could use two or three more consultants right now, and I'm having trouble finding them. And everybody's having trouble finding people. Everyone's shorthanded. So I think those three things we've been talking about for the last six or seven months, and now people are starting to talk about the R word, as you, you would say, but I think that you know we're getting close to it. And I think that business owners right now need to you know, think about what happened in 2008 and how they were affected by the recession and what they went through and how they can protect themselves better this time. But yeah,
0: I think we're seeing a lot of that.
1: Mhm.
0: Well, I think that's interesting too cuz I would think that you guys because of your client base and the breadth of clients that you work with, you have your finger on the pulse in a lot of different ways, which I think is pretty interesting. So, one of my questions was, you know, have you had any challenges with your business and you alluded to the pandemic and that. Why do you think and at this point you're talking about finding people? Why do you think why do you think it's such a difficult time for finding people? I'm curious about that. We hear it and we have the same situation. I'm just mm-hmm. like to hear your thought on, you know, if we're slowing down and we've got inflation and we have a recession potentially, and there's a slowdown to the economy overall, but we have low unemployment, but we're looking, you know, we being the business community is looking to fill positions. It's almost the antithesis of a recession, right? having low unemployment and hard to find places or hard to find people to fill those spaces. What is your thought
1: on that? Now you have to go back to economics 101. And I was an econ major at UCLA. There you go. Help me out here. And my mentor, (laughs) the the banker who was the father of the woman I was dating, he was an econ major at UCLA. But here's the thing. In unemployment rates, they only count people who are looking. They don't count people who don't look. So the issue is, although the unemployment rate is low, there are more jobs openings than there are people looking. And I mentioned the 4 million, 8 million before. And I think that the biggest challenge people have right now is if they want to take care of their clients, you need a certain level of staffing, whatever that means in whatever industry you're in, and people are having trouble finding them. And because of that, Pricing is going up to find employees. And I'll, I'll give you an example. When I bought Jorgensen three years ago, and I'm just doing some round numbers. Okay. So these aren't mm-hmm. actual numbers, but they're give you an example. Right. My HR consultants were making $40 an hour. A year and a half ago, I raised them to $50 an hour. And, you know, $50 an hour, if it was a full time job, 40 hours a week would be 104000 a year. This year, looking at the job market and what I'm trying to hire people, I had to raise them to 60 an hour. I mean, had to is an interesting word, but I needed to raise them to 60 an hour because anybody I hire is going to want 60 an hour. And that's getting up to the $150,000 a year range. So, what happens is people are giving signing bonuses, they're getting retention bonuses. You know, if you join us, we'll give you a thousand dollars. If you stay six months, we'll give you five thousand. I'm paying basically 50% more than I paid three and a half years ago when I bought the company for my HR consultants, which means I have to raise my prices. That makes inflation even worse. And then you know, everything else is going on with gas and and food and everything else. So, you know, I think it's a very interesting time right now, and I think people are have a lot of concerns. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: the business owners that we talk to. You know, they're cautious, and I won't even say cautiously optimistic, they're just cautious right now.
0: Right. Do you think any of it, because in our industry, 100%, there's a huge shift, but do you think any of it is related on a macro level to the concept that before the pandemic, we didn't have work from home, and we didn't have this different paradigm? And I think that people have become significantly more selective. In their job roles, and what they're looking—you know, where they want to work, how much they want to commute. Especially here in Southern California, you know, commuting has a huge impact on quality of life. I'm wondering if you're seeing any of that because that's definitely a big issue for us. Conversely, it's also allowed us to hire people that aren't as local as we would have, you know, five years ago.
1: I think that what you said has some bearing. You know, when COVID started in March of 2000 and Was it 20? 20, right. I think it was 20. Yep. People had to go remote immediately and just did it. And then I think there's a combination of things. First of all, the government gave out unemployment to the people, but got let go and they kept paying them money and it was basically cheaper for them not to work than to work until Mm -hmm. that ran out. I think people liked the fact that they were working remotely and because of that they have a new appreciation for how much work they want to do and what kind of work they want to do and there's an article in the wall street journal today about remote workers not wanting to go to the office and the fact that some people some jobs that are advertised as remote work when in reality it's not totally remote you have to go to the office one day a week or you know once every two weeks or twice a week. And people find that out after they start interviewing. So I think that, then I have five kids and my five kids range from 30 to 36, and I'm sorry, 30 to 38, like 30, 32, 34, 36, 38. And looking at them, a couple of them are working remotely. One isn't, and I know if it's spouses and on partners and whatever, but there's a lot more remote work. And I think people are appreciating the fact that they can work remotely and maybe not want to work full time. You know, most of my HR consultants, except one are, are all part-time employees. Mm-hmm. You know, they've always been, but it depends how many hours they want to work and how much work we have and whatever, but people enjoy that. They found that there's more to life than the working 60 hours a week. Right.
0: Definitely. I, at least in, like you said, the white collar jobs these days, there's a different viewpoint. I really think that we've changed and I don't know how far the pendulum can swing back, mm-hmm. right? I think this is, I was listening to, I think his name is Eric Schmidt. He used to run Google and he said, we basically forced 15 years of societal change into 15 hours, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, we knew that we were going to be working more and more remotely and and in different locations, but once when the pandemic hit, it was, I mean, same thing for us. It was like almost every client who said, there's no way we can have our staff work from home said, well, we have to. And then they learned that they could, right? And so they were forced into this new paradigm that they didn't realize was actually beneficial in a number of ways. So, And the, so- the biggest issue that happened
1: on the HR front was they they had to do what they had to do quickly and nobody paid attention to hr and labor laws <laughs> yeah. and how do you track time and how do you top meal and rest breaks and how do you make sure their office is set up to work at home and and they're secure and they have the right technology and they have the right you know security etc mm-hmm. etc cetera, et cetera. so we keep running across companies i just picked up a new client and i can't say they're headquartered somewhere cuz there's 10 people and they're they're kind of virtual. They're all over the place. And then they have 80 other people that work for them on a part-time basis. But you know, we're starting to review their HR stuff and realizing that they never set it up properly for remote workers. Mm-hmm. But even yeah, my it's... even my company, all my HR consultants have been remote for 20 years, I and mean, more than 20 years. Everyone's remote, but we have an office. Mm-hmm. So the question is, why do we have an office? And if my accounting person can access QuickBooks on the web or on AWS. And my admin can do that from home. And my other consultant who's junior, she can do it from home. Why do I need an office? And just my rent's 40,000 a year. Right. Not counting everything else. So when my lease comes up in a few years, that might be a question I'm going to ask. is Why do I need to have a physical location?
0: It's, uh, it's a question I think that we're all grappling with. We were lucky enough that our lease was up in late 2020, so we actually downsized and pretty significantly. Like our our office space, we can't fit all of our staff in it Mm -hmm. anymore, but we don't have that need anymore. We go in once a week or twice a week and yeah, so it's definitely the paradigm shifted and it's changed. And But like you said, above and beyond just technology and doing what you do there's some significant hr impacts and we got to make sure that we're on top of that as business yeah. owners.
1: I think the biggest thing and I'm I'm looking at a company right now that has 400 people in seven different states is that you have to follow the labor laws of where those employees are, mm-hmm. including posters and notices and brochures and new hire packages and all that. And the question becomes, how do you get all that information? I, you know, People ask me, you know, why do people come to you in, for HR work? And I'll say, well, I'll give you an example. In California, if you hire a new employee and you offer them health benefits, you have to give them 24 or 25 different notices, brochures and pamphlets, excluding the posters on the wall from five different government agencies. So how does a business owner who has 80 people, 60 people, 50 people, whatever they have. Over 100, they have an HR person. But how are they going to learn all that stuff? And it's complicated. And there's right. no one website you can go to.
0: Nope, that's where you come into play. I mean, yeah. I think that's the huge value add that you bring to the table. Yeah, So, I, I'm sorry. Sorry, go, go on. I was going okay. to say, um, I belong
1: to an organization called BICA, the Valley Industry Commerce mm-hmm. Association. I'm on their board and I'm in the labor and employment committee and we meet with legislators and I asked a state assemblyman I said you know why can't the state set up a website for business owners especially small business owners where they can go and get everything they need in one place and he just looked at me like a deer in headlights he can't mm-hmm. understand doesn't understand what a small business owner has to go through and right. a small business owner would be anybody with under 250
0: employees and you know it's complicated it is. It's very complicated. and luckily, uh, you know your clients all have you, and yeah, I mean, I think it's a great thing that you provide here. This is huge, right? If there's anything that we get burned from as a business owner, nine times out of ten, it's something to do with with employees. Mm-hmm. So just a couple of questions just to kind of wrap things up. I think we're coming up on our time here. Quick question, what's something that no one would know about you looking at you? So like, you know, a brush with greatness, something you did, anything behind the scenes that you could peel back? I have
1: an identical twin brother and our DNA is the same. And if you think about it, my niece is my daughter. I'm, you know, paternity wise, I would test as her father. So I have an identical twin brother. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's something very unique. And there are things that happen in the world that I can't explain, even though I have a master's degree, But there are things that happen that are twin things. So that's mm-hmm. one thing I would say.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I have a twins, but they're, the <laughs> funny question, I have twins that are, you know, boy and girl twins and I can't tell you how many people would say, are they identical? I'm like, yeah, you must have missed the science class that day. Exactly. It's (laughs) it's pretty self-evident. If you have time for
1: a quick story. Sure. My brother lived in the Bay Area for 30 years. He had one child. I had five children. So I didn't buy a lot of shoes. I had five pairs of shoes. I was very practical. But Mm -hmm. one Saturday, I went to Macy's in Northridge, and I bought a pair of Rockport's. And the next week, my brother flew down on Southwest to go to a football game. He's wearing the exact same shoes. And I said to him, and he has 30 pairs of shoes. I said, when did you buy those? He goes, last Saturday. I go, where he goes, Macy's in San Francisco. I said, what time? About 2.33. We were in the same department store in two different cities buying the exact same shoe.
0: Hmm. That's a twin thing. That's a twin thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty weird. Yeah. Wow. So any parting advice for business owners out there? Any suggestions you have out there besides, you know, make sure your HR is dialed in? Yeah. Anything? I would say the first thing comes to mind is, we talked about
1: this already, is make sure you're taking care of your employees. Mm -hmm. Employees usually hear things when they, you know, hear from bosses when they do things wrong. They don't get pats on the back when they do things right. They don't get kudos when, you know, employee of the month or employee of the week or whatever. But I think it's really important to reward people for a job well done and talk about it. We just landed a new company, a bank that we're going to do HR work for. And we landed it because there was another bank that one of our HR consultants worked for for 12 years, helping them out with HR. And that bank got acquired. And somebody went to this other bank in Orange County. And they needed HR help. And you, all oh, you got to talk to Connie because she's great. So Connie not only got a pat on the back in front of everybody, but she got a $1,000 bonus. So I think the important thing is you got to take care of people. Mm-hmm. That's my parting word of advice. It's not all about you as the owner or leader. It's about your team and how you can grow your team and help your team develop.
0: There you go. Words of wisdom. Yeah, hugely important, I'm a Thousand percent on board with what you said. That's probably one of the most important things that either takes us a long time to learn or takes us some pretty hard lessons to learn. But that's sort of central to any successful business is, you know, how are your staff doing? If your Mm -hmm. staff are happy, you're going to be successful. So, lastly, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, how can they do that? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me
1: is probably email. Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, at Jorgensen, JorgensenHR, dot com, Or go to our website, which is JorgensenHR.com. But probably the best way to get me is by email because I'm remote. If you call the headquarters office in Santa Clarita, I'm not there. <laughs>
0: Okay. That sounds great. Well, thank you for that. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. So anybody who's listening and missed that and too lazy to rewind. Does anybody remember the word rewind? Anyway, we have that in the show notes and Barry Cohn from Jorgensen HR. We appreciate your time. Lots of nuggets here, no question. And I thank you for for your time here. And I thank you for everything that you've done for us over the years and our relationship and more continued Good health and success, I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, take care. And that was Barry Cohn, CEO of Jorgensen HR. I hope you found the conversation as interesting as I did. It's always great to dive into the mind of a subject matter expert like Barry, and there certainly were a lot of nuggets there. I think you'd have to agree, his approach to HR and working well with others is a key to his success. Thanks again, Barry, for your time and sharing all of your great thoughts with our listeners. And if you'd like to find out more about what Barry and Jorgensen HR has to offer or want to connect with him, check out the show notes for more details. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. To learn more about this episode or hear previous episodes, check out the show notes at www.fpainc.com podcast. And if you like today's show, please do us a favor and share it with your friends. We'd really appreciate getting the word out there. And you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And while you're there, please do give us a review. Again, we'd really appreciate that. You can also write to us at podcast at fpainc.com. And if you want to send us a tweet, our handle on Twitter is at FPAINC. I'm Craig Bollock, and you've been listening to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast. And remember, with FPA, it's always about business before technology. Take care.